Welcome to This Week in Lotus. The weekly roundtable discussion of all things social, collaboration, technology and community. Here's your host, Stuart McIntyre. This Week in Lotus, episode 62, recorded on Thursday 28th July 2011. Notes, Domino and Social Business. This show is a proud member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. You can find this and other tech-related podcasts at techpodcast.com. This Week in Lotus is sponsored by Carbonite. Carbonite is online backup done right. Protect your PC or Mac for just $59 a year by seamlessly copying all your files off to the cloud, providing restore whenever you need it, wherever you need it. Get your free 15-day trial at Carbonite.com. That's C-A-R-B-O-N-I-T-E.com. And use the offer code T-P-N to get two months extra free when you buy. That's Carbonite.com. Well, hello and welcome to This Week in Lotus. We're back for episode 62 of the weekly podcast discussing all things Lotus. Once again, I'm joined by Darren Duke. Hello, Darren. Good morning, Mr. McIntyre. Good morning. How are you today? I am reading all about the tweets that you just posted that everyone's retweeting. Ooh. It's it's the activity stream. I can do 95 things at once and none of them very well. <laughs> That's certainly how I sit around Twitter. Must stay off there a little bit more. Well, we're, we're here for a, a great conversation today. Really looking forward to this one. Um, as I guess other people are as well, they're retweeting the, uh, the messages. We're joined by Ed Brill. Hello, Ed. Good uh, afternoon or morning. Yeah, good morning to you. Tell us what you're up to at the moment and where your role is taking you. Um, I am actually at home today. It's um, been a busy summer. I was uh, in central Wisconsin in the U.S. yesterday at a customer. Um, I don't think there's a week going by this uh, year that I haven't seen a customer, and that's a good day. Excellent. And there certainly seems to be more and more of these events going on and and more user groups, more let's say come to you type events. I guess there must be ever more demand on on your services. I have a capable team as well, so uh, we're busy. Yep. (laughs) Excellent. And what's your current job title? I'm the, oh, sorry, I didn't edit into the speaker notes, right? <laughs> I'm the uh, Director of Messaging and Collaboration. I run the Notes and Domino, Lotus Live Notes, Symphony, Lotus Live Symphony businesses. Excellent. And compared to your previous job, that I guess you've now got responsibility for Domino as well? Because I, I kind of think of you as being the, the kind of front-end client side of things, but do you take responsibility for Domino as well now? Yeah, it's been a gradual evolution. When I first came back into product management, I had the front-end side, and then I picked up Domino when we started the Lotus Live Notes project. Um, The first of the year, I then picked up the application development piece and uh, uh, Symphony and Protector. Excellent. Wow, that's quite a portfolio. So thanks for joining us today, Ed. It's great to have you on the call. Yep, no problem. Also joined by Lewis Richardson. Hello, Lewis. Hi, guys. Hiya. How are you? Good. Excellent. Well, Lewis is joining us from some remote place where you're speaking at an event, I think. So hence the, the slightly dodgy uh, quality of call, but hopefully we'll, we'll muddle through. Lewis, do you want to tell us what your role is in IBM? I'm the social business evangelist for, uh, for IBM's in the, in the collaboration solution side. So I, um, I have the privilege of going around and speaking to executives and mostly business managers around uh, how social business actually can impact uh, what their companies are doing, uh, talk to them about um, um, how, they, how they're looking at social, what they're try- trying to use within their, co- their organizations. And um, so I, I have probably one of the best jobs I've ever had and one of the most fun jobs in IBM. Oh, that's excellent. So do you work for Sandy Carter? I work in Sandy Carter's organization, correct. Okay, great. And you have worldwide coverage, so I guess you're doing lots of traveling these days. I, I do, yeah, and social is quite a hot topic, so yeah, there's a lot going on, um, but uh, that's the fun part. 
<laughs> Excellent. Well, thanks for, for coming on the call today. It's great to have you both on. So, Ed, let's kick off with you. Um, there, there's There's been quite a lot of talk in the blogosphere, I guess, over the last couple of months about the next release of Notes and Domino 853. I think that's because the, the covers have been lifted in terms of some NDA stuff. So do you want to take us through what are the sort of major uh, goals for 853? What, what kind of areas are you looking to enhance the product in? Yeah, sure. Um, Notes Domino 853... Um, is primarily a incremental release, so it's a roll-up of um, PMR, SPR addressing, and quality issues. But um, you know, there's some incremental stuff that's in the Notes client. Um, there's some incremental stuff in the iNotes or Domino Web Access experience, and um, there's a whole bunch of uh, new stuff for developers. And then there's also enhancements to Traveler. So. Um, so pretty much on all fronts, except for the Domino server. The Domino server, there's really um, very little we've done. That's been typical in the 8.5x that we kind of leave the core server engine alone um, and focus on on the UI elements or the designer elements as, as uh, places to to update. Um, so uh, you know, users will see uh, a number of enhancements in in DWA and iNotes uh, around. Um, usability, adding some more features to mail and calendar. Um, the in the notes client itself, um, a number of just really small fine tuning kinds of things. There's there's not a, a long list of hundreds of um, <laughs> of end user enhancements, but but there's some good stuff in there. And then I think the reason the blogs have been so busy about 853 has been primarily uh, on the app dev pieces, the enhancements to um, tools for X pages, and and we're going to continue that even um, after eight five three ships. We'll keep adding stuff um, from the the developer perspective. So you, you mentioned about developer oriented kind of release. Um, obviously, the last few weeks we, we've started to see the uh, extension libraries trickle out onto OpenNTF. We've got the REST extension libraries, and we've got the yay round of applause uh, the re- 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 database backend toolkit starting to appear. Um, obviously, they're available today, and you can run them if you have 8.5.3 code drop 5, I think is what the current one is. Um, yep. Obviously, that's only design partners. Usually, we but there's an open beta that's public. Is, is, is that still on the cards for 853? Um, I, I don't think so, mainly because you know we're about um, seven or eight weeks from shipping. Uh, so I, I don't think I have time to turn the crank and um, get another um, build done for, for general public consumption. We haven't really, in the 8.5x releases, we haven't been doing pure public betas. What we've been doing is basically open beta where anybody who asks can get into it. Um, and I guess I would still, you know, I'd, I'd be happy to make that offer to listeners if somebody's really looking to get their hands on 8.5.3 now, um, you know, just send me a note and I'm happy to have my team get you in. But um, but I don't think we have time per se for a, a public beta at this point. I think your mail quarter is about to explode. <laughs> so, so you mentioned seven to eight weeks away. So I guess we're talking before the end of the quarter? Absolutely, yeah. Um, I don't have a, an exact date yet. Um, we'll make that decision in the next week or two, but uh, but it'll be in uh, in September for sure. And of course, you mentioned early on when you're talking about your role, Ed, it now straddles both the on-premise releases of Notes and Domino, but also the, the cloud-based Lotus Live Notes as well. So will these enhancements be rolled out in that stream as well? So um, when 853 ships will move to um, update the client support in Lotus Live to support the Notes 853 client, um, the designer stuff's irrelevant for now. Um, the server backend stuff, there's no real enhancements there. So um, the fixes we've, of course, rolled into the Lotus Live um, production environment probably already. And uh, the Traveler stuff will get updated in a, a future release of, of Lotus Live Notes probably by the end of the year. So, But the, um, the client side, the beauty of using the same client is it's the same client and it's just supported. So, um, you know, Lotus Live, we're kind of driving to a, an update release by the end of the calendar year um, that is, um, you know, somewhat focused on stuff that we need to do to, to just scale the service, but also has some some new features as well, um, but it'll be the, the fifth release we do of, of Lotus Live Notes. So um, nothing we need to per se take from 8.5.3 into that. Uh, it just kind of keeps rolling along. 
And Ed, you know, we're now onto our third sort of incremental version of 8.5, I guess in you know best part of two years or so since 8.5 was released. Um, is there much of a demand for you to, to roll out you know, another major version or are customers you, you speak to very happy with the fairly major enhancements you're putting into each of these um, step releases for 8.5? Um, I think, you know, I think there's, there's a point where you have to do something that says, um, here's a major release, because otherwise you just get dark in the market from a press and analyst and outside observer perspective. So the install based customers have been saying, you know, consumability is really important. Uh, time to rollout is really important. So we, um, we've responded by not um, really, you know, trying to churn through architectural changes and fundamental upgrades. Uh, in the last few years, we've gone to this more agile approach of of doing incremental upgrades. But there comes a point where you have to do something that says, okay, this is what we're doing to increment the product, and we're committed to it, and you know, we want you to see major enhancement. And you know, we see that as being uh, the the next release in 2012. Uh, what we call it, you know, just because I know it'll be one of the questions. <laughs> I don't really know yet. Um, there's a camp that wants to call it Notes 9. Um, there's a camp that wants to call it Foo. Um, <laughs> probably not the best name into the market. Um, so, um, you know, I don't know yet. But one of the reasons that we we're even struggling with the name on that is architecturally what we've built is we've basically taken a direction that says, let's build 854 so that we have the most stable release possible of, of the 85X code stream. And then on top of that, build kind of a feature pack that you can overlay, and that feature pack then becomes the, the major release with um, all of the new capabilities, and I'm happy to talk about those in a second. But uh, So it's not really per se a 9, um, but we may decide to make it a 9 uh, in, the, in the effort of you know, making it more visible in the market. The trade-off of that is then many customers will go, well, wait a second, if it's a 9, I have to plan a whole new upgrade. So if it's an 8.5x foo, uh, there's a lot more tolerance to just go to that upgrade and not go through a major planning cycle. So this is the trade-off, and frankly, we, we haven't decided yet. So are we kind of looking at a plug-in architecture then, that this is the base release to go to whatever 8.5.4, 8.5.5, or 9, or whatever it's called? The difference is really going to be, for want of a better word, a diff file, kind of like how the cell phone operators push out their OS upgrades, that kind of idea? Um, I, yeah, I mean, I think it's something like that, where you know you, you will have the same base, whether you're on 854 or this other thing, and it's just a matter of whether you've installed the other thing or not. But um, it, it, some of the install is turning on new features, but other, others are features that will genuinely not be installed unless you do the install. Um, so... Uh, so it's not quite the same as just turning on things that were already there, but it is definitely saying you're going to go to 854 as a base, and then you could add a feature release on top of that. And and are we thinking the feature release is extra licenses, or is the feature release bundled with 854? Is it, uh, or is that all still to be determined? No, no, no. I mean, our intent. I, I you know can't yeah. tell you until we ship, but our intent is that it's it's a standard release it's just the next thing in your subscription contract uh the the reason for the distinction is some customers just will want the most stable version of 85x um and then for those customers that absolutely want to upgrade we want to make sure that there is value in their subscription contracts and that they're seeing you know that that's of benefit but it's there's no intent in in any of this to go um create a new thing that has to be bought it's just the next release of that stuff Okay, I think the light bulb just went off. Okay. okay. And, and of course, we've been talking a lot um, over the last couple of years about Project Vulcan and, and what that vision means in terms of some of the kind of goals for uh, user interaction with messaging collaboration in the future. Do you want to talk, Ed, about a, a little bit about what elements of the Vulcan vision you're looking to put in this next major release? What, what elements are you focusing on, on getting rolled out to, to Notes customers? Right, so there's several. Um, and And... To some degree, you know, and, and people keep asking me, well, why aren't you talking about Vulcan anymore? And it's because Vulcan was a blueprint, and you know, now we've gone past the blueprint stage to the planning stage to the um, coding stage. So I don't really talk about Vulcan anymore. I talk about what's coming in Notes next. And so you'll start to see um, elements such as the share box um, 
in, instantiated in the UI. So that's the idea that pretty much any object that I can work with uh, inside of Notes, I can do something with from within that context. I can create it into um, something that I post into a connections community or um, transfer over to my files or um, up to the cloud, uh, you know, with, with really seamless um, uh, um, operation. And then the other um, key piece of the Vulkan vision that you see in the, in the technology itself and the UI itself is the um, embedded experience. And we demonstrated this a little bit at the Packlug uh, admin keynote last month <clears throat> based on uh, the Open Social 2.0 standard. And um, that's stuff that, that people can start to look at now. It's not uniquely our work. It's a you know, consortium effort. Um, so it's worth going and taking a look at, at some of the stuff that, that's going on in the open social space. But the um, embedded experience says that when I get um, a document open in my, um, uh, in my mail, for example, or in, a, in an application that has a file attached to it, that that file is already an active object. So if it's a file from connections files, I'm looking at it in preview mode and I can comment on it and I can share it and I can see the versions. Or if it's a YouTube video, that I'm actually looking at um, the comments from the YouTube stream and I can update the YouTube stream without having to click over to YouTube. I'm in my client experience and I'm just working within that environment. So Sharebox and, and Embedded Experience are probably the two main UI elements. The other sort of main thrust of Vulkan that you'll see in this next release is the convergence of uh, web and mobile as primary experiences. So what we're building for the next release in the iNote space is um, really meant to be a first-class experience uh, and equal to, and in, maybe in some cases because of where the web technology is at, uh, advanced from things that we're building into the Notes client. Um, it's not to say that the Notes client uh, has any sort of change to its stance. It's just that the web standards are moving so fast, and even though we can embed some of them through um, the same technologies we use for things like X pages, uh, it's just a lot lighter weight to, to implement them in a web and mobile environment. So the Vulcan vision was to say that web and mobile become first-class experiences, and you'll definitely see that that body language is part of what we're thinking about in the, in the next release. And on the um, the IBM Connection side, we've seen a lot of talk about social mail, about the kind of implementation of, of iNotes, if you like, of, of access mm -hmm. to your mail file within yep. the Connections experience. Is is that going to be part of the, the delivery or, or will you need a new version of Connections as well to, to deliver that functionality? So we're actually looking at getting that done first. Um, the next version of Connections is um, anticipated to come before the next release of Notes and Domino. So we will implement some of the social mail capabilities for connections for whatever it ends up finally being called. Um, but C4 seems to be the internal vernacular. Uh, so um, for C4, there will be an implementation of social mail, kind of the first release, probably not right when connections for ships, probably a few months after that, um, available through the solutions catalog and the like. Um, but you'll see it there, and, um, and it won't then wait for us to ship Notes and Domino Next, Notes and Domino Next will have some elements in the iNotes interface of the social mail experience as well. But, you know, both of those are going to be evolving uh, environments and we're going to do, you know, clearly what, it, what will be the, the first deliverable in 2012 and then we'll turn the crank again right away after that. Well, that's exciting news, Ed. Thank you. And and Lewis, opening out to you. I mean, you you speak to customers all the time about social business and and sort of where um you know where they are on on the sort of you know move towards being a more social organisation. How much does Notes and Domino come into that conversation? If if they're existing Lotus customers, are are people looking to expand on their Notes and Domino environment and and, and move that towards being a, a more social collaboration environment? Yeah, actually, uh, the, our Notes Domino customers are probably our most uh, um, active in, in, in moving toward a social business because they already understand the value of collaboration and how collaboration plays a part in your business as an integral part of your business and not just as, a, as an email architecture or something, but there's a, a real integral part of communicating and sharing. So um, the, the Domino customers, the Notes, you know, our Notes legacy customers and so forth have just been just great. At, uh, at thinking ahead, and actually they're pushing us in many ways um, in our social business uh, you know, model. So um, I, I always count it a privilege when I walk into a customer and they're a long-standing Notes Domino customer 
because I know that they already appreciate. Now it's just a matter of, uh, of showing them new ways that they can do things. Um, I, I've often said to, to most customers that, that in reality, this whole social piece is not really anything new. We're still doing the stuff that we've always done. We're, we're talking to people. We're communicating messages. We're sharing information, sharing files. Um, we're staying in touch and, and those, and, you know, tracking activities, that type of stuff. And, and it's now just different tools, different ways to do that. Um, and uh, the notes on the customers get it. And Ed, would you agree with that? I mean, it, it's social business just the, just the latest kind of iteration of, of what, you know, I know you've been in IBM 15 odd years or so. Is that just the latest iteration of what you've been talking to customers about all this time? Well, I mean, I think there's a different level of awareness and understanding. Um, but, you know, a lot of what we talk about in the social business today is very much the same things that we had to talk about in groupware, collaboration or knowledge management or, you know, whatever the prior labels were. Um, the, I think the biggest difference now is that you have people in the workforce who uh, grew up in their lives thinking that sharing was a good thing. Uh, whereas when we first started these technologies, you know, two decades ago, we had to teach companies to teach their employees about sharing because until that point, you believed that the value of your, your position in your organization was what, you're, what you knew. And nobody wanted to share that. So um, uh, there are still plenty of organizations that operate that way. Um, but uh, for the most part, the people who have entered the workforce in the last five, ten years uh, grew up in a culture of online and community and sharing. And so um, they've been the catalysts for these kinds of changes in organizations that um, maybe didn't get the memo in the prior generations. And does that, does that help? So – if if I was an organization that was that was maybe I wouldn't say left behind because I think that has some negative connotations but but maybe I didn't get the message and I haven't evolved even to maybe using the integrated same time entitlement is is it easier for them now because they've been historically using Lotus Notes and Team Rooms and discussion databases is this just the next iteration for them to move forward on? Um, I think I think it can be. Um, you know, a lot of organizations had probably done a lot of the the things that we now describe under the social banner in their in their notes implementations years ago. But on the other hand, um, some of these tools are genuinely you know new categories. Um, you know, I think we, you know we've done an, a, a, an excellent job of implementing ideation in connections today, but. You know, the Domino community knows that there's been an excellent implementation of ideation with El Gucci for a long time, right? So, um, you know, there are definitely different approaches um, to, to, to the technology, but the concepts um, behind a social business are, are things that have been applicable uh, in our space for a while. And, and the other thing I like to see is it's, it's all kind of coming together. Uh, it's it's very difficult now when when you watch the demos. I remember the one from UK Look where it was just a seamless transition. The UI was was all the same. You, you really had no idea which which product you're in. And I know there's some people that don't like that, but I actually think that's a pretty good idea. I was just talking yesterday with uh, Brian or the day before with Brian Chang, who's going to do the keynote at I Am Log uh, in a, uh, next week, and. Uh, he he was looking at the same thing. He said, well, how important is it that I, you know, show them this product or that product? I, I want to do a demo that's kind of using all of them. And I said that I, I wouldn't worry about the product. The people in your audience care most about what the technologies and capabilities are and how they can use those in their business. Um, you know, the labels and the licensing and the, the you know, splash screens, that's, that's not as important. They want to see cool stuff. So hopefully for those going to IAMLUG next week, they'll see cool stuff. And he's a very good presenter. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> Excellent. And and moving over to you, uh, Lewis. You know, social business really was launched at Lotto, wasn't it? So we're about sort of six months in to to this campaign. And and uh, you know, what's your overall view in terms of response that you've got from customers, not just traditional Lotus ones, but from IBM customers, and also those in in what we in the sort of partner in IBM community called the white space, those that haven't necessarily bought into Lotus technology in the past. Has, has the response been positive? It has. And um, actually, the, the, the battle we've been having for the most part um, has just been in defining what social business is. 
Um, most people understand what social is, and they understand at some level what social software is. At least they have an impression of what that is. And so um, our challenge uh, is to try to get them moving in the direction of you know, what is social tools and how does that actually apply to business versus more of a maybe a consumer-grade or um, a consumer-focused social tool. So um, it's, it's been a pent-up demand. Um, I've been you know, kind of pushing social stuff for just a, a little bit longer than uh, – or a little earlier than this Lotosphere. And um, I have to tell you that walking into Lotosphere and seeing the social business message being prominent – and now being quite prominent in, in IBM itself is, has been quite, um, uh, quite exciting for me to see uh, the, the push behind this. Um, and the push is there, uh, and it's almost a pull. Um, our customers are, are demanding this. They're just asking for it. So it's been, uh, it's been quite a ride in the past uh, six months. And, and because of that, has, has anyone actually yet brought up the million-dollar question, where, where does Facebook business fit into all of this, I guess going head-to-head with connections? Uh, yeah, we 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 actually have have been trying to uh, stay abreast of most of the competition, and um, uh, where we normally had you know Microsoft as kind of a competitor to the offerings that we make. Um, this you know stepping into the social business market, um, and because social is so hot, we've had so many competitors step in <laughs> with offerings. Um, it's it's like uh, I, I I was I was to do a social competitive session uh, last week um, for our North America sellers. And um, I actually told him, I said, you know, I'm going to talk to you about stuff today, but next week it's going to be out of date. So um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, we, we, uh, there's a, probably not a week that goes by that someone doesn't send me an email and says, what do you know about XYZ company? And I've never heard of them before. And yet when I, when I you know, Google them or take a look at them, you know, they have a dozen or so customers. Sometimes they're big customers that they're referencing. And it's, I guess that's one of, the, one of our challenges right now is, the market is so young that we haven't gone through that normal shake and bake process where uh, you know, the, the leaders will, will stand out and the, and the, the also rams will you know, tend to fall behind. Um, so things like um, consumer offerings, like the Facebook piece, um, you know, uh, what Google's offering. Um, I mean, when, I, when I stand in front of many customers, <laughs> um, I'll ask them, I'll open the conversation with, so what are you guys doing with social in your company? And you know, I'll get several hands that may raise, and they'll say, "Well, we have an unofficial Facebook site." And then I ask them, "What does that mean by unofficial? What do you mean by that?" And it's like, "Well, we've got one. We're just not sure whether it's what we're going to do or how we're going to push forward." So, um, uh, we, from a from an IBM perspective, I'm part of a, the Tiger team, and the Tiger team has a competitive unit, and we're just trying to stay on top of who's the players and uh, what are their offerings, and how do we kind of differentiate ourselves. And do you think, um, generally speaking, people understand the the difference between kind of social media, as in, you know, the external kind of uh, free services typically that are, are about projection of the company's brand out to consumers, versus the need for internal social collaboration, as as we talk about with connections and Jive and Social Text and the other competitors too. Yeah, if, if people stop long enough to think about it, they can see the difference. Unfortunately, things are going at such speed that people, many people aren't stopping to think about it. And so it, it is confusing. And so, um, all, like I said, a lot of our time we spend, in, even in a sales process, and just trying to set a vision, is we have to get down to a definition. What are, what are we talking about? And what are the, what are the areas that, um, that you're going to try to, to grasp in your business and actually leverage in your business? And, um, and, so, and the difference between social media and actual other social tools inside your company uh, can be a confusing factor, yeah. And uh, you know, following on from that, are, are there a, a set group of of IBM um, you know solutions or products that you would say fit into the social business campaign, or is it almost that you're you're talking to customers about the need for this type of collaboration, this type of knowledge sharing, and and then you kind of work on which combination of products fit into that solution at that stage? Yeah, that, that's actually the the uh, the. The role that we're playing right now is, um, um, I'll say probably for most of the presentations that I give, um, a product name is never mentioned. Um, we just talk about the need of, of how you act and behave socially. And as far as underlying IBM products, you'll see connections, you'll see quicker, you'll see same time, you'll see notes. I mean, all these aspects are part of living socially. Um, one of, the, one of the, the, the benefits of what we have to offer is that I tell people, I said, we're not about really making social 
someone else's business. We're actually trying to make their business more social. And, and what I mean by that is that we really want to take the social applications and ingrain them into what they normally do and not distract them. Um, there's a lot of social offerings that are in themselves an application, a target. You know? So if I'm a worker, I'm doing my work, I'm, 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 I'm building widgets or whatever, and then I have to divert my attention over here to be social. I have to go to another application to do that. And we're, we're you know, one of the things we're, we're very good at doing and probably somewhat unique at doing at IBM is that we can actually take that social characteristics and actually surface them within what you normally do. So, you know, often the conversation is to when you walk in the morning and you open your PC or turn on your PC, what's the first application you open? And, you know, for our notes nominal customers, most of them will say we're open notes because that's, that's where we start our day. And we tell them, well, that we make notes social. Um, so, therefore, all aspects of what we do within, IC, within you know, ICS actually comes up through being social. You know, others will say, well, I log on to my company intranet, and, um, and we start working from there. And I say, well, we make the intranet, your company intranet so, uh, social. We can make the portal social. Um, so um, it's, it's not without um, – in most conversations, we speak of, of all ranges of products that we offer as well as you know, other offerings. And, and I think that's the hard piece, right, is you go into a customer and they say to you, help me be social. And that is just such a huge word that, uh, you know, you've got you to then spend a lot of time digging down the hall to find out what they mean when they see social and then where the tooling can fit in. But I think you're exactly right. I think that's where IBM have, have a benefit over some of our organizations, just the sheer size of you guys. I mean, you, you have to be a social organization to even operate. And... Added to that, the tools come from that, and so you practice what you preach, which I think is always the killer, the killer selling point. Yeah, I, I I I tell people when they ask about you know how long have y'all been living a social social life, it's like you know we this is we this grew up within us, you know this is uh, these are projects that start off as research projects that that were not imposed upon IBMers but was made available to them, and we gathered these and are, and, have, and have used them. And by, by use and by promotion and by actually building our business on top of these, they became products. And so, you know, as from an IBM perspective, um, we've been in the social business market for a long time ourselves, and now we just know making this available to the public. Um, the one thing that I think is sometimes lost on the fact of how large we are is people will ask me, are you sure social business makes sense for you? I mean, you're 400,000 people you know, plus, you're globally dispersed, you're a knowledge management, you're a knowledge kind of company, of course it makes sense for you, but you know, I'm 100 people or I'm 1,000 people, and yeah, we might be spread around a bit, but you know, I don't understand how social is really going to impact what we do. And um, for those people, I have to kind of remind them that you know, the, way, the way our products are positioned is such that you know, small companies pay, pay small prices um, as far as licenses and so forth, but the great thing about this, this is not... When you think of that social piece, it's not as much technology, although there's technology involved. It's really a cultural thing, and small organizations can actually change their culture more rapidly than large ones. I mean, over time, we've changed our culture in IBM, and small companies can actually turn and become more of a social business quicker, more, more rapidly than others. And, um, and so it's irregardless of company size. This is, uh, this is beneficial to small companies, medium size, as well as the large ones like ourselves. And Lewis, do you get the chance to speak to a lot of those sort of smaller companies, you know, say with less than, you know, 300 or 500 um, employees? Is that a, a space you get to, to deal with very often? I do. In fact, uh, today I'm, I'm with, uh, in a conference where I'm speaking to a couple of business partners about just meeting into that type of space. Um, it's, uh, <laughs> the, the thing I, I, I try to, to look at these small companies and they'll say, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm 300 people. And I say, okay, so you're 300 people, but you have providers, you have business partners, you have people you work with. Oh, yes, I have those. Well, that's part of your social network. And you have customers and people you deal with. Yes, that's part of your social network. And so before long, they recognize that their social network actually expands well beyond the confines of their, you know, their email domain and goes outside into, into other areas. And so they see themselves now as, as a much bigger social entity. So, yeah, it's, it's a – I actually, I came from a – a company when we were acquired by IBM, I was I was in a company with 17 people, wow. and so I can uh, and and we and we still were dispersed and um, uh, and we could have used this, so it's relative. 
It's good stuff. And and when when you speak to these kind of customers, do you find that they expect you to be exhibiting um, the sort of the, the major aspects of, of being social yourself? I mean, are you expected to be on Twitter, to be you know on Facebook, to um, you know be, be be dealing in a very social way when you speak to those customers? Absolutely. In fact, I'm, it's 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 a prerequisite. We've heard horror stories of. Uh, reps not being able to get into accounts and then other people finding their way into the accounts and then once they're there, they, they ask the account, why, why didn't you let these people in? You know, these other people are trying to get your attention. They're like, well, you know, we, we looked out there on, on the social networks and we couldn't find them, so what, what do they have to tell us? Um, you know, it's, um, uh, I guess it was about a month ago, I walked in with a rep into an account and um, he started to introduce me. And, and what was interesting was the, the, the corporate uh, marketing VP Said, you don't need to introduce Lewis. I've Googled him. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's coming to where your social persona has to be such. And this is, a, I guess, would be a, a, a challenge I would put forward to business partners and others who, are, who might be listening and, and thinking about getting into this business. Um, you know, social is not one of those things that you can just sit back and take orders um, you know, for. It's one of those things that you have to start living the life um, because. Um, as I said, much of, much of this is culture, and if you're not living it yourself, it's hard for you to, to relay those benefits. Um, I know that when I, when I speak to audiences, um, I often share the fact that, uh, that I, every day my email inbox is empty. I empty it out because I don't have conversations as much in email anymore. I still have a lot of email still has a lot of value to me, but that's not where I carry on most of my conversations. Most of my conversations are held in the social network, and email is just a conduit to kind of let me know what's going on. Um, and when I say things like my email box is empty every day, that gets people's attention. And often I'll have people you know, contact me after the conference and say, how do you do that, right? Because they, they want that. And if you don't live that, you can't portray that, right? So. And Ed, of course, you've been kind of portraying this for for you know numerous years since since edbrill.com started up and so on. Um, you, you know, you've now reached level of director in IBM and so on. And and something I hear a lot about, um, a lot from executives of companies is it's really hard to be, um, social in in the way that we are at a lower level when you get to that kind of level because you are dealing with you know company confidential stuff, secrets, you know, relationships that are hard to, to to deal with in that open social space. Is that something that that you're finding more difficult now? You've reached the level of, of IBM that you are at. I I, I think so. Yes. Um, you know, I, I was just thinking last night that, uh, you know, I feel an almost obligation to the fact that there are 5,000 kind souls out there that are following me on Twitter. And I haven't even been able to keep up with the deluge on Google+. Plus. I mean, it must, I, I don't even know what that number is yet. So there's all these people that want to be connected to me. And that's great uh, that we've established that kind of community and that people want to have that interaction. The irony of my job today is both the level that I'm at, and then also the specific job function I'm in now, um, where I'm inventing the future, right? It's very, very, very hard <laughs> to talk about that and say, oh, well, I don't mind if Microsoft and Jive and Google and everybody else out there get a, get a hold of that information. Let's just put it out there. Um, and then the other complication is I can't talk about specific customer situations. So at this level, I spend a lot more time in day-to-day interaction with specific customers, I, I can't write about, I mean, I had a great meeting yesterday. I'd love to tell the world about the excellent meeting that I had with this customer. I can't say word one. I even felt uncomfortable blogging or tweeting or checking in on Foursquare geographically because there just aren't that many companies in the area that I was yesterday, right? So, um, so it is a struggle. And I, I find I'm looking at, I've looked at some of my colleagues that you know, there's not a lot of at replying going on on Twitter from some of the other IBM executives. Uh, I mean, I think Bob Suter, you know, is a great example of a guy who gets it and knows how to participate in the conversation. And I'm still, I'm trying very hard to, to consciously commit to not just, you know, make it a monologue, but to actually, you know, participate in other streams and other conversations and not just my own. Um, but it is hard with the amount of travel, the amount of interaction, the amount of time every day. I think if I didn't work in a home office, I'd probably be struggling even more. But because I'm here and I'm not getting, you know, sort of the casual invitation to go to lunch kind of thing, uh, I have a little bit more time to, to invest in it. And I'm surprised no one has yet coined the phrase, and if they have, credit to whoever they have. And if not, then copyright down Duke 2011, <laughs> send the royalty checks my way. Is, is kind of like we've got private cloud and public cloud. We, sh- we, need, we, we have 
But I don't think people understand this. We have private social and public social. Yeah, we do. And, yeah. and I'm surprised no one's kind of coined that yet to separate, like Stu was saying, the, the kind of private nature internal to connections as opposed to the public nature of Twitter. But it's also funny, Ed, you touch on the whole Foursquare thing because I've, I've never really bought into Foursquare mainly because I don't want my competitors knowing where I'm going because the moment I check in somewhere, I can imagine when my competitors Googling that address and finding out who's there. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, yeah. I've just it's that's that's a level of fear for me that I haven't yet been able to get over. So I think it's kind of funny that that way. And and when I see people, you know, checking in on 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 Foursquare, I I don't click on them to find out who it is. But I, I always I always think to myself, do they know how much they are giving away here? Yeah. Right. Well. Right. There there are definitely elements of that, and I I um I have found it a real inhibitor. You know, like. Uh, to to not be able to talk about specific situations again, whether it's you know where I am or what am I doing, um, there, there's definitely that element of not wanting to transmit. Oh, hey, um, Microsoft, check out where I am today. You know, <laughs> um, it's, it's, a, it's a major it's a major factor. I have this vision of uh, black helicopters descending the minute that I announce. Oh, look, I'm in the middle of uh, you know Saskatchewan at you know, such uh, a location. Well, there can't be that many organizations there. Look, he must be there, you know, dive, dive, dive. (laughs) And in actual fact, Ed was just duck hunting. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And and it's it's often intrigued me that way. Um, Could could we use it I mean, has anyone followed any of anybody else to find out if if the people from Drive or the people from Social Desk or the people from Microsoft are they checking in places, and could it be used that the reverse? And and I always think, you know, my, my my level of paranoia here is getting a bit extreme, but it's kind of like IT compartmentalization, I guess. What the CIA does, you've got to be very careful what you say in public as to what you say in private, and there's got to be a distinction between the two sides. And, and I don't think. A lot of people realize that once it's out there, it might not be out there forever, but it's out there even for a split second. Someone took a screenshot of it. Yeah, I, I'll tell you if, if, I, if I could. One of the one of the things that I that I when I speak to customers about using social, and many of them are considering using publicly available tools. You know, they're using uh, Facebook or Twitter or other things to conduct business. Um, I, and I I come from the South uh, here in the U.S. and and one of the things that's kind of normal for a southern family is, is you know, try to live your life in such a way that you could actually sell your family parakeet to the town gossip, which means live so purely that no matter what you say, you know, anybody could hear. And the reality is companies don't live that way, right? We have conversations that we want to keep private. Um, like Ed, you know, I, you know, I can't tweet where I'm going, but yet I, you can use, if I own the conversation, if I own the, the, the conversation I'm having, which, which brings us back to what we, we have the IBM to offer is the is ability for people to use social tools and yet own you know, the entire conversation. They control it. They can know who the target is going to be. Um, I, I, did a, I did an article, a blog article once. Uh, it's been a year ago now maybe um, inside IBM. So I'm having a conversation among my friends about the difference between quicker and connections, when to use one, when to use the other. Um, getting a lot of salespeople asking me the question, so I answered it uh, socially. And um, you know, after some time, someone said, you know, you really ought to take this and make it available to customers. Well, I could have, you know, if if I had just been using consumer social tools, it would have been there already. But I was able to take that and then say, now I'm going to have a conversation, and I have to know that I'm having a public conversation. And I took that article and I had to clean it up a bit in order to make it presentable externally, because internally I had said a few things about our sales reps and other things that I probably shouldn't have said um, to, the, to the public, but, but, I, but I cleaned it up and sanitized it and stuck it outside the firewall where people could get to it. When you have those conversations, it's important for companies to realize, when I say this, who am I saying it to? And I see a lot of us, and, I, and I'm not against having widgets and tools that allow you to post one place and have it blast everywhere, but you have to realize that when you hit that done button or that send button, where that conversation is going. And uh, to answer your question, Darren, yes, we have people who track others. And uh, I keep track of, uh, of where other people are going because I know uh, in similar fashion they're, they're watching over my shoulder as well. So it's, it's not that you're paranoid. Exactly the people are watching that. Okay? <laughs> it's only paranoia if it's not true. <laughs> That's right. 
And something both of you are known for, and I guess Darren as well, is the sort of longer form of, of blog posting. So whilst we still have, you know, um, these short messages, you know, Twitter and, and, and Google Plus and so on now, um, Ed in particular, you've been blogging for goodness knows how many years. Um, do, do you still feel that those sort of longer posts and, and also keeping an archive of those posts versus them just disappearing into the ether on Twitter or Facebook is important in terms of, of having that, that history, that sort of um, you know, reputation you built up via your blog? Uh, I mean, I think it's all in the mix. I, I do think that some of what used to be relevant on the blog has become more relevant in Twitter, Facebook, plus whatever. Um, you know, if you go back to 2004, or 2005, I was often just posting something that was basically a link, yeah. you know, and maybe I would add some editorial to it, but maybe not. Um, and, and so, you know, that, that's dried up. I, you know, I think there's more I could and should be writing and it's just the time thing for me. Um, but I think there's also an audience factor, right? Um, I mean, I, I, my blog will probably with the very next post or maybe it'll take two hit 50,000 cumulative comments and, um, and I clear out the spam, right? What little spam gets through, um, Steve Castledine's filter, but, um, the, you know, so that's legitimate, active, relevant comments after, you know, eight years or whatever. Uh, so, you know, is that important to me? Absolutely. That kind of interaction, you know, has had immense value in shaping this business over the, that eight year period. Um, and I, I do wish I could write more often. Um, but it just, you know, it's just not the form of the day for me. Um, whereas there are other people who, you know, still are very successfully using that format to share ideas and information. And so I think it's just a mix of tools and, and which one's the right one at the right time. I, I think it's, it's picking the right messenger for the message. And I, I'm, I'm pretty sure Ed, Ed Lewis would prefer if some of my blog posts got deleted. Um, but the, the, the fact of the matter is, I still, I get about, I think the last count was 50,000 hits a month on the blog. And there's not a lot of new content going up there because a, a, lot, of, a lot of my comments have always been transient. And it, it, the blog has always been where I go to document something that I think somebody else should know or I get asked multiple times and I just find answering the same thing over and over again a bit inane. So I think from a historic purpose, it's always good because you'll see posts out there. I'll get comments on a post that's been out there two or three years because I don't turn the comments off and say, thank you, this was the only place I ever found this and, and it worked. So I think, again, it goes back to yeah, I'm sure there's some stuff I probably should go back and, and turn comments off or there's probably some stuff that probably should never have been written in the first place. But I think uh, they've... For me as well. Sorry, go ahead, Lewis. Yeah, one, of, one of the things that you're discussing here is, a, is a, a relevant point. It's about where are you having your conversation, right? And how open is it? There's a guy, Stephen Johnson, who recently wrote, uh, published a book on where good ideas come from. And he talks about how innovation really happens when you have conversations in, more in the open. And he actually goes back historically to the tea houses and how that helps spur innovation and so forth. But the, but the concept is, you know, if you were to ask me a question and you were just using a, an email or a transaction, then you and I benefit from that. You know, you ask the question, I answer it, it's done. Um, if, if it's an interesting thing or if it's something that's, that's beyond that, we might, you know, thread other people in or so forth. But the conversation is still pretty well, you know, um, a known group of people, whereas if you have the conversation in the open, and I tell people this, you know, if, if, if someone were asking a question, you know, where are you going tomorrow, or where are you doing for dinner, I might email them back and give them the answer, and that's it, it's a transaction, but if you were to ask me, Lewis, what is, you know, Connections doing with business intelligence next, next year, that would be a question other people might, I might ask, and then that's where, where I might use a blog to kind of answer that or put that out there, same amount of effort, same amount of typing, just do it in a different place share that with you, and then when other people ask the question, instead of going through my email, I just go to my blog and, and, and re, you know, resend it or actually send a link to it. But the beauty comes when you go, like, you, like you've done there, and you go back to your blog and you find, and, and Ed particularly, how many hundreds of people or thousands of people have actually read that, and that's possibly emails that you didn't get or inquiries you didn't get. And um, an interesting thing happened, I just um, posted a blog yesterday on the Collab Soapbox about this. Um, you know, I had somebody post a question on my profile, you know, which is inside of Connections, as many profiles, many microblogs. Someone posted a question about a month ago 
Um, and it was a question that was technical, and you guys that know me know that I'm not technical, right? But it's more of a technical question. And within five minutes, one of the people who I'm in their network, you know, they're in my network, answered the question. And I actually asked the person who posted the question previously, I said, you know, you know I didn't know that answer. They said, I know, but you knew someone who does know. And so I asked the question to you in a public offering where your people that hang around you would know the answer and they would answer it for me. And so I wrote a blog about, you know, I know a guy who knows a guy kind of thing. You know, it's like, I don't know the answer, but I know someone who does know someone who knows the answer. And we're actually able to do that socially now. And it's, uh, it's brilliant. Instead of sending someone an email, hoping they'll forward it and so forth, it's a matter of I can actually ask the question to a targeted group of people or somewhat of a, of a conversation group of people and get answers and get input from people that, I, that are kind of on the, on the fringe. And that often leads to new ideas and you know, new concepts or maybe new twists on an idea. So that's, that's how I use the, the social network most powerfully. Your sphere of influence, I believe, that they call in the seven habits of effective people. Mm-hmm, exactly. And, and what I did get asked a couple of weeks ago, actually, why do I still blog? And it suddenly occurred to me, and the answer I gave it was, this is paraphrased, but the, the answer was, well, remember back in 1990 when everyone needed a website and everybody was a webmaster or web developer? And then that kind of died out. And then now everyone, two or three years ago, everyone had a blog and now that's kind of died down. I said, but you still have a website. You still go to websites. It's just that people who, who really probably shouldn't have had a blog in the first place have migrated off onto something else <laughs> that's newer, shinier, and more tinfoil-like than blogs. That is true. The other thing for me is how often I end up going to my own blog to find something that I've forgotten. You know, I'll Google yeah. for a solution to a terrible problem. Very often I've blogged about it two or three years earlier and just forgotten the answer. So it's great if you've got a rubbish memory like mine. I went to a customer a few years ago and... Um, upstate New York, so it's a fair trek for me. So I get there, and they ask the question specifically about something on an AS400 Domino, so I Google it, and it pops my blog. And I'm like, oh, there, I knew the answer at one point. And they asked me the next question, I did the same thing again, and my blog popped up again. And the customer says, why did we pay to fly you up here? And I said, well, apparently for me to show you my blog. And it is. It's it's kind of ironic how many times you Google something and yet your name comes to the top. You're like, huh, at some point I knew this. I'm 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 we used to it. It's <laughs> it amazes me how many times that happens. And Ed, as as well, you know, looking at the community that's built up around um, you know loads of technology and your blog and so on, something that that's really been a strong suit of the community has been OpenNTF over the years. It's been through several different kind of iterations. We, we've now got this sort of more formal type organisation being run by a mixture of you know Bruce and the committee and, and also Nicholas as well from IBM. Um, are, are you pleased with kind of where OpenNTF is in terms of supporting the products that, that you manage? Yeah, I think it's gone really well. I mean, look, look at what we've been able to do just ourselves is we've had this unreleased vehicle where you see us put stuff out on OpenNTF that we're now gradually pulling into the formal product, um, you know, but we've had a chance to get it out to the market nine or 12 months ahead of when we would formally be able to do that. So, um, you know, that, that cycle of being able to get code out faster, um, you know, is, is really uh, a huge benefit just to us to be able to um, be responsive to the market and get some some stuff out of the labs that doesn't have to go through all of the formal IBM stuff to to leave the building. Um, but then you know you look at the projects that have been contributed and the work that people have done on individual efforts, and you know it's really made a difference in um, in how the product is perceived in the market, in how it's leveraged by those who bought it. Uh, I mean, it's, it's created whole new market opportunities to, you know, sort of revitalize the, the application development space uh, around Notes and Domino. Uh, I, I really think that, that you know, it's been a, a critical component of um, really the entire ecosystem, not just for us, not just for customers, but all of the above. And I know Nicholas blogged about um, some stats recently in terms of the number of new projects, the number of downloads and so on at, you know, at the highest level ever, which is just tremendous for products as mature as, as Notion Domino is, that there, there is so much innovative development going on. And and something I, I, I've been sort of very surprised about, really, is, is the number of new releases that IBM are putting into the community. And, and you already mentioned the relational database stuff for XPages, the mobile toolkit as well. And, and, and one of the challenges, I guess, is, is to work out from an IBM perspective when you bring those 
those um, those kind of you know unreleased products back into the stream and, and how you then add the languages and the rest of the support you need to. So is, is that something you're very aware of as you look to the, the future releases when you pull some of these things back into the stream again? Yeah, and in fact, we've, we've already approved a plan after 853 ships to do some feature packs for designer or for developers in general to bring some of those features into formal shipping. Um, so, you know, that, that, that's a, a whole new approach that we've never taken before, uh, but it's driven by the fact that we already know that these are proven tools. We, you know, they weren't just casual things we threw over the wall. They've, they've actually been used quite effectively, and it's not a, 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 as long a reach as it used to be to get them then into shipping production. Did you say earlier on that Lotus Symphony sits in your set of products yep. as well? Because, of course, there's news there from an open source perspective as well in terms of you know, not just you having taken lots of open office code and, and put that into Symphony you know, years ago and again when you upgraded to version 3, but also now you're donating that code back to the Apache Foundation. Can you talk through why you're doing that and what IBM's going to gain or, or what it's going to offer to uh, the Apache Foundation by doing that? Right. So, um, yeah, so we've announced in the last couple of weeks that that Symphony is... Uh, we're going to contribute the Symphony code back into into the Open Office stream as managed in the, the what's currently a Podling project at, at Apache Foundation. Um, it, you know, it's our intent to reunify Open Office. That's that's really our, our main objective. Obviously, we can't make that decision unilaterally, and we're hopeful that others in the, the various fork project communities will will you know see the opportunity there as well. But we think that. Um, the, the competitive battle per se is not amongst who's got the best open source desktop productivity tool, you know, derivation, but it's really around where is the vision of desktop productivity in general and, you know, how does that morph over time and, and, and doing it under the auspices of Apache who, you know, they, they've obviously proven very successful at managing open source projects that can be adopted into business environments, uh, you know, is, is really the best possible outcome. Languishing at Oracle wasn't the right solution. Uh, trying to go with a, an approach um, that demands that everybody contribute back exactly everything that they've ever done with it, probably not the best approach to getting it widely um, built upon. So, um, you know, Apache's really got that right model. Uh, you know, our objectives with Symphony and with that open office space continue to be um, to make that a pure commodity space in the market. And um, it's had, you know, quite a bit of success there. Uh, almost every customer meeting I'm in these days, we have the opportunity to talk about user segmentation and where productivity tools fit in that. Um, so, um, you know, Symphony being part of our portfolio, supported by IBM, based on open source, uh, based on a now faster moving uh, community because it's not just what we build in our own labs, but everybody um, will really, you know, provide a lot of benefits. Um, and it's the same team that's working on building the Symphony Web Im implementation for the cloud. And you know, so they're learning even more about how they can adopt and take advantage of that code uh, in the cloud implementations as well. So this is not just IBM throwing Symphony over the wall and saying Apache go for it. This is a bit like yeah. IBM's HTTP server is based on Apache, but IBM still do their own coding. It's that kind of idea? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's like that, yeah. I mean, we're, we're not just throwing it over the wall. We're throwing people at it, too. So, you know, people on my team, people in the development team are signed up as committers for the project. And, you know, not just in terms of core code. Um, we've put people in there who are marketing people and project managers and, you know, <laughs> that, that, that will help with the whole ecosystem. But, yeah, what will come out then... You know, and it'll be 2012 before it happens, but what will come out then is that the next version of the desktop productivity tools that we ship will be even more open office uh, based than, than even the current versions. And the open office community versions will all have benefited from all the work we've done over the last four years. That's Great like, stuff. Yeah, excellent news. Um, thank you for that, Ed. And yeah. as always, when we come to uh, the end of, of the hour that, that we put aside for this um, podcast, we, we ask each of our guests for a tip. It might be an approach, a product, a tool that they use, a, a way forward that uh, you, the listener, can, can take on in your week. So, Darren, do you want to kick us off? What's your tip for this week? If you didn't watch my movie last week, you need to watch my movie. <laughs> it was It's genius. Toshiba's genius. I'll put it in the show notes again. Did you watch it yet? I haven't had a chance. Dude, <laughs> killing me. It's because it, when, when I beat you to a tip, you just don't take my tip. I see how it is. 
<laughs> Carry on. What's um, your tip for this time? Okay, so this week it's Milebug. I don't think I've used this before. I actually searched the Twill site and it didn't come up, so I'm not sure if I'm restarting to use tips. But uh, when I move from BlackBerry to iPhone full full bore, I do an awful lot of mileage, and uh, Milebug was by far the best mileage tracker I was able to find on the iPhone. And they've recently released one the same product for both Android and Nokia, and it's two ninety nine, two dollars ninety nine cents. A real bargain for what it does at 55.5 cents a mile or something like that. It's well worth tracking. Excellent. So do you have to put in your trips sort of manually or does it work it out from the GPS where you've gone? Well, you, can, you can do both. Um, I don't use a GPS because my guess is it'll kill your battery. But basically you put in your start mileage and your end mileage and then when you hit new again it automatically fills in your end mileage. So you never have to kind of figure out what your mileage is. You just keep telling it what your ending mileage is if all your trips are business trips, which mostly mine are. Excellent. Thank you for that, Darren. The, the link's in the show notes. Um, $2.99. It's great value. And Ed, what's your tip? Well, I, I'm sure that your um, listeners have heard about it before, but uh, the I've been meaning to write a blog about uh, the Plantronic Savvy Office. Um, I, I've just really, in the last month or so, started to use this with, uh, with same-time unified telephony, of course, and Skype and other tools as a voice over IP uh, headset desktop thing. Really, um, you know, tremendous uh, uh, set of technology that I'm obviously wearing right at the moment, uh, the, that it uses deck technology for the um, in-house wireless so that I can walk away from my computer and not feel like I'm constrained to the Bluetooth distance uh, of many of the other headsets is really uh, a bonus. And it's also got such a great audio quality that you probably hear my 21-month-old daughter screaming upstairs right <laughs> at this very moment. <laughs> you don't, but it clearly is very clear. I mean, it sounds like a really good microphone from, from this end. Yeah. So there's... Excellent. We put the link in the show notes to that. And I heard the crying, but I thought maybe you were in the in the developers area, and they were just moaning <laughs> in the back. <laughs> He's in the blogger seat at Lotusphere. <laughs> and Lewis, do you have a tip for us? Yeah, I, I guess I guess just with the variety of social tools that are out there, I would just ask everyone who considers you know consider where you're going to have the conversation, consider what you're going to use the tools for. They're all. All of them have their qualities, but really look, if inside of a business, look at which ones focus on your people. Um, there's a lot out there that focus on things like content. Uh, SharePoint, they focus really on the content area and kind of forget the people. There's others that focus on the conversation, you know, just this thread of, of chatter and this yammering thing that's going on. You know, it's just a, it's just a thread of, 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 of what's being talked about and then you're only a person as it relates to a conversation. And then the last ones are the people who, who are really just focused very strongly around community, which is a good thing. But if you focus so strongly around that, you kind of lose the aspect of, who, of the individual. So um, tip is just you know, look for social tools that really help your individual, help your people, individuals in the organization um, succeed. And there's other areas, content and conversation and community, those all are important, but make sure that your people aren't lost in it. That's an excellent tip. Thank you, Lewis. You're absolutely right. We do, do tend to focus very much on the community aspect, and uh, it's definitely about the individual and personal productivity as well. So thank you. And my, my tip is around Connections 3. We're doing a lot of development work at the moment for a number of customers um, on Connections. And something that's really been made much, much easier in Connections 3 is the ability to do drop-down menus from the menu bar across the top of the Connections environment. And they are very easy to customise. You can create entire menu structures um, for your users. So, for example, if you're trans transitioning users from maybe a, a traditional um, collaboration tool or internet over to connections for social collaboration you can have a link to all the sort of original um, internet sites and pages uh, all within your connections menu structure so it's a really um, a good way to kind of bring the old and the new together the other thing that um, we're doing a lot of at the moment is to integrate XPages Domino apps with connections. There's all sorts of APIs that allow you to do that. Something that we're trying to do is to build a, a mailing list app that, that takes real-life uh, dynamic content from connections and makes it available to uh, to Domino users in terms of being able to mail groups of users. Now, obviously, email isn't necessarily a social tool, but there's ways to, to bridge the gap there to make um, to, to sort of bring the two environments together. So do look at areas where you can customise connections. It really is a powerful set of tools. So those are our tips for this week. Uh, as always, we'll go around the table just quickly and ask um, what's the easiest way for people to get hold of you in the week following this podcast. So, um, Darren, do you want to kick us off? 
blog.darrenduke.net for all things technical and Darren Duke, all one word on Twitter for my anti-tea party rants. <laughs> Thank you, Darren. <laughs> and Ed, how do people find you? Uh, I, I can't really divulge that information. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Ed Brill on uh, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Google Plus now, although I haven't figured out what to do with it yet, <laughs> and uh, Ed underscore Brill at us.ibm.com. The Norm Foursquare. And oh, yeah. yeah no, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty selective about that one, actually. So, very yeah. sensible indeed. Thanks for taking the time out of, I know you're very busy schedule, Ed, to join us today. Yeah, sure. That's great. And Lewis, how do people find you? Uh, I'll give you the email address first, which is Richard l at us.ibm.com um, i do a lot of public uh, postings um i've, I've yet to establish a, a, my own blog place but uh there's a, a community that ibm sponsors uh a url for it is the collaboration soap box um i i post a lot of blog entries out there that are public um and then i have a a, a twitter account which is intervivo so that's i-n-t-e-r underscore v-i-v-o-s and and is the answer for why your Twitter account is called that? Is that sort of safe for work? It's because when I first started Twittering, I was Lewis Richardson, and they told me it was too long. Uh, and okay. um, so, so I tried intervivos is uh, Latin for in between the living. So <laughs> I'm not sure that explains anything, but thank you, Lewis. <laughs> I, don't, I don't I don't tweet for dead people. Okay. <laughs> thanks for joining us today Lewis really appreciate okay, it thank you and I'm Stuart McIntyre you can find me on Twitter at Stuart McIntyre and also on the website which is collaborationmatters.com so until next week this was This Week in Lotus bye all opinions expressed during this podcast are those of the participants only and do not necessarily represent those of their employer At This Week in Lotus, we're actively looking for sponsors from around the IBM Collaboration Solutions community. We'd love to find ISVs or business partners who'd like to sponsor this podcast, raise your profile around the community and add to your sales. If you're interested, please contact us at info at thisweekinlotus.com and ask for our media pack. We'd love to hear from you.